0: Good morning. morning. Have you ever thought about the qualities of what make up the ideal pastor? I mean, you guys are in church. Have you ever thought about the qualities that make up that individual? Well, a friend of mine has shared a list of some of the qualities of the ideal pastor, so I thought it would be helpful if I were to share those with you this morning. Here's what the ideal pastor looks like. He preaches exactly 10 minutes every Sunday, and yet his sermons inspire the most mature among us. He condemns sin but never, never hurts anyone's feelings. He has a mastery over the church's budget but never, ever talks about money. He knows and serves the needs of all of his people, but actually spends most of his time studying and praying. He knows when people are sick and need a visit, even when they don't tell anyone. He gets up and works at 8 a.m., Wraps things up in the office at 10 p.m., and yet still has plenty of time to invest in his family. This is my favorite. He's 39 years old, and he has 40 years of experience. <laughs> Well, you get the idea, the reason we can laugh a little bit at this, because some of those things have a shred of truth to them. Most of us, when we enter the church, when we come to the church, we have some degree of expectation, and oftentimes the bar is high when it comes to pastoral leadership and what we expect of our pastors and our leaders. Rather than simply laughing and giggling at some of those, and they are humorous, let's consider a few questions as the family of God. First, where do those expectations come from? We may have those expectations, but where do they come from? And then who determines the right set of pastoral standards Because I could probably go around this room right now and ask a segment of you, and a segment of you, and a segment of you, and the same for you, and we probably would not come up with the exact same set of standards. Now, let me turn this narrative completely upside down. What should a pastor expect from his congregation in return? You see, all of these are actually valid questions for us to consider, particularly in the context of the contemporary church, because they engage with the question, church, why bother? You see, today we're going to strive to answer some of those questions. About the role of the pastor and the role of the congregation in the life of the church in the relationship with the pastor. We're going to do that in just a moment, but first, let's pray together. Gracious God, our heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather today as your people to be here, to rub shoulders, to chat in the lobby, to connect with other members of the family of faith. We are grateful for that, for that, God, is a gift. And today, God, we are going to open your word in just a moment because the word has everything we need to live and to breathe and to walk out our faith in real, tangible ways. Now, the fact is, some of us submit to that word, some of us push against that word, and some of us disagree with that word altogether. Wherever you find us today, God, I pray, I plead with you that you would do your work in our hearts. Wherever you find us today, surrendered, struggling, meet with us through the power of your spirit. God, we acknowledge that your word is truth, But, God, we need eyes to see that truth today. We need ears to hear that truth. And then grant us humble hearts that we might be able to live that truth today and in the week ahead. God, we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We know, church family, here at Woodside, our sermon series typically work through a book of the Bible. We'll start in a particular book and we'll work our way through that particular book. If it's a long book, sometimes we won't spend the whole time in it. We'll take a chunk of it. But what we do is we move from verse one through that chapter, and then verse one, and then through that chapter. And so then you get here on each Sunday, and within our series, when we gather for worship, the pastor, whether it's myself, Pastor Kevin, or someone else, preaches a segment of that biblical text. And we work through the text to see the specific truth that God has for his people. Now, I want to make a cultural statement here. Contrary to cultural belief, there is one primary truth in each biblical text. One. The truth is then applied in our lives in different ways. I want to make sure you catch the difference there. There is one primary truth in the word of God as we unpack verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. How it's applied to our lives is different. Now here's what happens when we approach the word of God like this. We work through difficult things sometimes. Sometimes. We run into passages or sermons that are not easy to engage with or easy to deal with. Some stories that in fact might make us really, really uncomfortable. We have a segment of our church right now who is reading through the first five books in the Old Testament. You want to talk about uncomfortable? Yeah, dig into that. There are stories that make us uncomfortable. There are topics that, if we're going to be completely honest with each other, are, in fact, controversial. And there are some issues that are not the easiest to discuss, even among the church family. Now, I want you to know, today is one of those days. Today is one of those days because what we're doing is, I'm going to be dealing kind of an awkward sermon. But I want you to know it's not awkward because of any of the reasons that I just suggested. It's not controversial. It's not a cultural issue. Instead, it's a bit awkward for me because it is a sermon that speaks directly to the role in which I serve. It's a sermon about the role of the pastorate. So it's awkward, and I just want to be authentic and real with you today. As I begin this sermon, it is a bit awkward for me, but rather than kind of leaning into that awkwardness, what I want you to do is go ahead and grab your Bible. Because we're going to turn there, and I'm not going to try to explain it anymore. I'm just going to take you to the text. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. You'll remember last week we read those first 16 verses. Today we are picking up the narrative uh, that Paul writes to Timothy, the letter that he writes in verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. Here is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, "...let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer, well, he deserves his wages." So do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do not take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, Timothy. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. For the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Church family, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. As he writes to a young man that he's been discipling, that he's been training, and what he does is he communicates to him about the role of pastoral leadership in the church of God. Now, as we dig into this particular text, what I want us to do is I want us to remember what he has already communicated in this letter. He's already communicated in chapter 3 at the beginning the importance of the role of pastoral leadership. He started in verse 1, this is where he writes, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now what you need to know is overseer is translated as well as elder and pastor. They're synonymous, overseer, elder, pastor. So if anyone aspires to be in the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. So an overseer, again, pastor, elder, must be above reproach he then offers a list of the qualifications that you may remember pastor kevin taught us about a few weeks ago but you may not remember those so i want to highlight a few of those let me remind you that the pastor and the elder should be an individual who is self-controlled he should be respectable he should be able to teach he should not be a lover of money and one who manages his household well. I remind you of this noble task and of these qualifications that accompany the role, because our text today builds upon that foundational understanding of the role of pastor, elder, overseer, of pastoral leadership within the context of the church. Now what you'll also find in that text is what God's people are called to do in support of these spiritual leaders, also known as your pastors. So let's jump in, let's jump back into the text specifically to see three ways that the church is called to treat those, to respond to those who serve in the role as a pastor. So let's start by looking at verses 17 and 18 once again. It says, Let the elder who ruled well be considered worthy of double honor, especially when those who labor in preaching and in teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, as you and I seek to understand this text, you guys know that I love context. Context is so important to any biblical text you read. You have to know what's come before, what's following, what's so important and so critical for us as we read this particular text in chapter 5. Earlier in this chapter, what we looked at last Sunday, in fact, was how the church relates to one another as a family how we engage and connect with one another as a family. This means our collective responsibility to honor one another in the church family, specifically the widows among us. You will remember that from last week. So that's where he began. That's what he's been emphasizing in this particular portion. And then he gets to verses 17 and 18, and Paul continues the idea of family caring. He's linking those and he's carrying it on. This time, the care is for the pastor or the elder. Paul's counsel is different than what you might assume. He says, those who serve as an overseer or as a pastor should be considered worthy of double honor. You might say, well, what does that mean? I don't know what double honor means. I look in the biblical text and I don't really see that in many places. What does that mean? Well, allow me to explain it in practical terms first. Here's what it means. The church is called to support our pastors financially. God's people should support our pastors financially financially. Because what Paul means in this text is by double honor, it is a twofold blessing. The first is that the pastor should be respected and honored. Remember, the context here is very important. We're honoring widows, we're honoring those in the church, and now we get to the point where we're honoring the pastor. Paul wants the pastor, elder to receive respect. That is one side of this twofold blessing. The second is they should receive remuneration or payment for the spiritual services that they provide. Do you guys remember when I told you this is going to be a little awkward? It's in there. This blessing is summarized by the double meaning, this double honor of time. And here's what I mean. One scholar explains it this way. He said, elders should receive both respect and remuneration, both honor and honorarium. Let me just be candid with you this morning. Practically speaking, I am grateful for the faithfulness of those who give consistently to the ministry of this church. Thank you. And there are many among you who have come alongside me and my family in really significant ways. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I am grateful that as a pastor in this location, I have received these honors. This double honor. And even though he has only been here a few months, I know Pastor Kevin feels the same way. He's grateful to serve as your pastor. So allow me to say thank you. Now, Let's return to the text to see the next way that the family of God is to respond to our pastors. We're looking at verses 19 and 20. It says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder, pastor, overseer, unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. See, Paul has just followed up a section on the pastor elder who have served well. Now he gets to the point and he says, okay, we might need to look at the opposite side of the story. If something egregious has been done, by all means address the issue. Don't sweep it under the rug. We all have read those stories online about churches and their pastors where they just kind of sweep it under the rug. That is not what we're being called to as the family of God. We're called to deal with grievances in the right way, and the right way is with witnesses present. It's very clear. But something is also true in that particular text. When a church leader is being accused of something, honor their position by approaching them with witnesses. Making sure that the situation is true before you run out and say things and ruin the leader's reputation. Let me put this another way. Don't buy into unsubstantiated gossip. I'm going to say that one more time. Do not buy into unsubstantiated gossip and certainly don't add fuel to that fire. Trust me, as someone who has served as a pastor for more than 15 years, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. I love the way reformer John Calvin explains why this needs to be addressed in God's church, why you can't just skim over it, but it needs to be addressed. He says, none are more exposed to slander than godly teachers. So instead of the temptation to gossip and slander, what's the church to do? We are called to respect our pastors. The church is called to respect our pastors. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that the pastor and the elder is infallible. I will stand before you and tell you I am not. It doesn't mean that pastors aren't above sinful behavior. It doesn't mean this at all, in fact. Instead, what this is actually getting at is for God's people to respect the position of spiritual authority and to treat that position and the person who fills it with respect, rather than complete disregard. Instead, what it means is that we should respect our pastors. And if something needs to be addressed, there is a right way to do it. That's what it means to respect each other as the family of God, as God's church. Now, it's at this point in today's message I want to kind of peel back the, a few layers and be real with you. I'm going to be completely transparent with you. You guys ready? That's not good enough. Are you ready? Yeah. As your pastor, I want you to know right here, right now, I will let you down. I will let you down. And let me tell you something, if you're here today and I haven't let you down, it's coming. <laughs> the phone call, it won't come fast enough. The email will not deal with the right issues in the right way. The sermon won't be funny enough, maybe too long As your pastor, I will let you down. I'll do that because I'm a flawed human being in need of God's grace. I am a man, as I stand before you, who strives to do the right thing. But you know what? Sometimes I miss the mark. If I'm completely honest, I'm not the ideal husband, not the ideal father. I'm not the ideal coworker. I'm not the ideal boss. I'm not the ideal neighbor and I'm not the ideal friend. I'm pretty sure if you evaluated my life I probably don't pray enough. I probably don't spend enough time reading the Bible. I probably don't practice Sabbath faithfully enough. The reality is I need the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life afresh every single day just like you do. Every day I need to believe that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived a sinless life in my place, And that he sacrificed that life on the cross for me. And through repentance of my sin and belief in the gospel, I am then forgiven. I'm redeemed. And through Christ, I am set free. You see, White Lake family, I am a fellow journeyer. I'm a fellow journeyer who has been called by God to serve as your pastor. But make no mistake, I am a pastor who will let you down. And yet, I'm also a pastor who will always point you to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who will fulfill all of your deepest longings. Because he, he is the great shepherd. Now, let's look at the final segment of our text today. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 21 through 25. I want you to see the final way the church is called to treat our pastors. He says, I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, to keep these instructions without partiality. Do, do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. For the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. You see, Paul's words to Timothy are emphatic. He begins there, I charge you. Paul writes to the one he is discipling, the one he is mentoring, who he is giving guidance on how to lead the church in Ephesus. He says, I charge you to carry out these instructions, these pastoral instructions with consistency and to do so with faithfulness. So let's look at those instructions. They come in rapid-fire succession right there, beginning in verse 21. He says, don't show favoritism. Verse 22, he says, be cautious and be wise. Verse 23, take care of yourself. Verses five, four and 25, practice discernment. But why? Why are all these details here? Why do these things matter? Because the church should select our pastors wisely. The people of God should select our pastors wisely. There's no other way to say this. The church must be wise, must be discerning, must be prayerful, as we consider the role of pastor and elder. You might say, well, why is that important? Because the pastor has great influence on the church family. There's no other way to put that. The the pastor influences and, and prioritizes the spiritual growth and development of that church family. That's the responsibility. You might say, well, what does this mean exactly? What does that look like when the pastor comes to work, when the pastor stands on the stage? What does that look like? Well, a prominent church leader by the name of Tom Rainier did some pastoral research of his own. Then he kind of took it up a notch and he took it to organizational research. And what he came away with, I want to tell you, was incredibly fascinating. Here's the question. He says, how many hours each week must a pastor commit to the following to satisfy his congregation? Now, he gives a list of things and I want you to hear what we're talking about in terms of the time commitment that is expected in order to satisfy and fulfill needs of the congregation. There should be 10 hours of counseling each week. There should be 14 hours of prayer, 18 hours of sermon prep, 15 hours of visitation, another 18 hours spent in administrating and what needs to move forward for the vision of the church. There's 15 hours of outreach and community involvement. There's 10 hours of church meetings. There's another four hours of actual church gatherings. And then there's 10 hours for all the rest of that stuff. So if you're keeping score, that's counseling, prayer, sermon prep, visitation, administration, outreach, meetings, gatherings, and all the rest. And the grand total is. <laughs> A hundred and fourteen hours per week. Let me parse that out for you. That's uh, sixteen hours seven days a week. You're right. In order to satisfy the expectations of a given congregation, this was done, not just in one church so that they had this particular opinion, this was spread out over the course of uh, a number of different churches, and this is what the expectation is, and I stand before you to say, this is why I will fail you, because that's not healthy, and that is not sustainable. But Rainier's study does, in fact, raise a fair question. What can, what should the church expect from their pastor? I want to take a look at another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. It was to the Ephesians chapter 4. He says, he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... He gave those people to do what? To equip the saints (laughs) for the work of ministry. Based on the qualifications of what I've just read in Ephesians 4, the clear task that I have been charged with as a pastor is to equip you to do the work of ministry. Who am I equipping? Church family, that's why we invest in talk about our family discipleship, to equip you to raise your kids in the faith. This is why we do a Bible reading experience called Immerse, to equip you to read and to know the word of God that it might become a part of your life This is why we exhort you to become a part of a life group community here at Woodside so that you will be encouraged and equipped to walk out your faith in real ways each and every week, modeling the gospel in your home, in your workplace, in your community. That's why we do that, to equip you. And this is also why We equip you with the opportunity to serve the needs of our kids' ministry, of our student ministries, and to reach our community with the gospel. (laughs) White Lake family, your pastor and your pastors and your elders are here for you. To love you? Yes. To serve you? Of course. To equip you? Absolutely. And this is why godly pastors are a gift to the church. Because it is their calling and their joy to equip you